0: We're here. Uh, Christmas is coming up, guys. Uh, I want to start off the service with saying um, we're in our Advent series, and this is the last Sunday of Advent. And um, our series that we're in is called Surprised by Hope. And we've been talking about how Jesus and his coming uh, is just full of... uh, it's just full of surprises, really. I mean, we talked about Mary and her circumstances and Elizabeth and Zachariah. Today we're going to talk about John the Baptist and, and how uh, this theme has run through all of their, all of their lives. And, and so let me start off with this. I'm going to throw up some slides, and I want you to just shout out what movie this is. Okay, we're going to just talk about favorite Christmas movies uh, just to kick it off. So let's throw up the first slide. Yeah, yeah, Grinch. I watched that one all the time growing up. It's a, life. it's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, I've actually never seen that movie. I know. I don't. I don't know. I guess it's it's kind of old. Yeah. yeah, a lot of you guys probably grew up on that one. Uh, yeah, we would go for my birthday growing up. We would go and and see Home Alone and then Home Alone Two and yeah. All right, this one's I don't know how you guys feel about Elf. Okay, <laughs> Okay. all right, we got... So, okay, it's all right. Do you guys know this one? Yeah, a little a tiny Tim there, a little little guy. Yeah, I've never seen this either, but a lot of people like that. All right, how about this one? Whoa, you knew it. Yeah, yeah, good job. I didn't know how how widespread this was in Canada. Um, This is a huge movie in the States. I've actually never seen that either. I started watching it and it was kind of, I thought it was kind of lame, but uh, how about this one? (laughs) So our first, (laughs) this might not be a Christmas movie, but our first um, Christmas in Canada, this was on Marathon on TV. They just played it over and over and I was like, this is Canada. I love Canada. <laughs> they play in Mighty Ducks, uh, all all through Christmas. <laughs> so, this was my family's Christmas movie growing up. <laughs> we <laughs> we watched Die Hard every year. It was just on TV, um, and my family watched it every year growing up. It's not your typical Christmas movie, but um, Die Hard is pretty. Uh, Let's get a little theological with die hard. So, <laughs> so this guy, uh, what's his name, John McClain, he's going to this Christmas party, right? In this, this big tower, it's his, it's his wife's party. His marriage isn't doing well. Um, his circumstances are, are, are really poor, actually. His, he's a cop. His wife, you know, doesn't like that lifestyle. She wants a divorce. They're kind of separated. And he shows up to this party, um, And then the party gets taken over by terrorists. And, yeah, classic diehard. Uh, And, and of course, being the hero he is, he he ends up saving everybody. But um, you see throughout the movie that uh, he doesn't let his circumstances dictate what he does. He perseveres throughout the whole movie. He doesn't have a gun. There's one one scene where he, like, gets a machine gun and he writes it on the guy's sweater He's like, ah, I have a machine gun now. And he like goes through, he doesn't have shoes at one point. They break the glass, so he cuts his feet, he has to like ties, put cloths around his feet, things like that. And so the movie's all about him just persevering. He came to the party expecting one thing, expecting to be reconciled with his wife or something like that. And then all of a sudden, terrorists take over and he has to save the day. And so um, I'm gonna relate Die Hard now to Advent. So, and this is, this is exactly, like, the season we're in. Like, I don't know what you came here for this morning. Um, Advent, typically in this season, we're waiting for something, we're expecting something, uh, you know, we're celebrating something. Sometimes this is a rough season for some people. Um, and a lot of you are waiting for something to happen this season. You know, it's just kind of the, the feeling of the season we're in. But a lot of you guys are... Burdened by your circumstances. There's, whether it's you've been waiting too long or just things haven't been going well or you're asking, why is this like this? Why am I like this? Why is this happening to me? And you just feel burdened in this season instead of released. And, you know, you see people experiencing joy and all it does is is produce like hardness of heart in you because you see people enjoying the season and and you're burdened by your circumstances. And when we come into uh, Israel at this point in history, when Jesus comes in the form of a baby in flesh, uh, this is the situation Israel is in. They're burdened. They're oppressed. There's another nation that is in their nation ruling them and over them and oppressing them. And God has been silent, as we've said the past couple of weeks, God has been silent for 400 years. They haven't heard a prophet speak God's words in 400 years. The last prophet is Malachi, and that's the last book in the Old Testament. And then nothing. And so they're just waiting. Their circumstances aren't great, and they're just waiting for something. They have this hope that they're hanging on to. And maybe that's what keeps you going in this season. You have some sort of hope that you're hanging on to some sort of fleeting hope a lot of times. But they're, they're, they're hanging on to a hope of a Messiah, of the Christ, of someone that's going to come and be the savior of uh, their nation, of their people, of the world, and who's going to take away all their heartache. That's, that's, what they're, that's what they're waiting for. But it's been many, many, many years. And so when John the Baptist arrives on the scene, he's the first prophet to appear in 400 years. And when he starts speaking God's message, the people notice. Some don't like it, some do, but, um, but it's been so long, silence has been so long. And John actually fulfills two prophecies that Malachi, the very last prophet, prophesies a couple of things about the person who's going to come and prepare the way for, for the Savior. And so John actually fulfills those prophecies in Malachi. And what's more so, 700 years before John, there's other prophecies that he fulfills that, that, um, that, that came. And now God is speaking through this prophet. And John, like I said, is the last one of these. And then God speaks. So your question might be, well, well God isn't speaking today, right? Right? Um, you might be like, "Well, how does God speak today? We don't have prophets, you know. We don't see prophets like being in the mouthpiece of God and things like that." Hebrews, Hebrews one says that the ultimate prophet has come, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ has come, and now God speaks through Jesus, His Son. Okay, um, God speaks through the Word. We've talked about how God speaks uh, through through us as the Spirit has come and, and dwelt inside us, and so. But before then, God spoke through these these people that he put his spirit on, and John the Baptist was the very last one of these, okay? And so this morning we're going to talk about John, his, the prophecies, his life, um, his circumstances, his expectations, and talk about how that fits in with you this morning. So let me say this before we start. I want you to keep this, this thought in mind as we go through the sermon, and you'll see it up on the screen here. Uh, when you persevere in circumstances, you discover clarity in your circumstances. Okay? When you persevere in your circumstances, you discover clarity in your circumstances. When you discover clarity in your circumstances, you'll realize joy and boldness in your circumstances. Okay? What, I want you to, what I want for you today is for your circumstances, whatever they are. Family issues, job issues, uh, health um, so many more things I, I can go, go on there. Whatever they are, I want to see your circumstances in a different light this morning, okay? I want you to see, I want to, hopefully, I want to lead you to persevere, to have clarity, and then to have joy and boldness in, the, in those circumstances. So we're just going to walk through John chapter 3 this morning, all right? So John chapter 3 starts out like this. Stuff that we normally read over, if you're reading the Bible, says in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, so Tiberius Caesar, the, the emperor, um, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, another governor, uh, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea. Uh, and and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene. So we have all these men, all their titles. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John. So he just listed kings and emperors, and they're over uh, the world. Tiberius Caesar's over like the known world, and Pontius Pilate is governor of all of Judea. And Herod and Philip and Lysanias are tetrarchs over these different regions. And Annas and Caiaphas are the high priests. They're the, the top of the top of the priests. And the word of God came to a guy named John. It didn't come to Herod. It didn't come to Tiberius Caesar. It didn't come to Pontius Pilate. It comes to John some random guy, right? The son of Zechariah. It didn't come in the palace. It didn't come in City Hall. It didn't come anywhere like that. It came in the wilderness. So God's prophet is coming, it's this guy named John. Like John's like the most common name, I guess, of all time. <laughs> Today it's pretty common. And then... um even in, in the scriptures, it's common, uh, and this guy's just chilling in the wilderness, and the Word of God comes to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. You know we spend so much time seeking after accolades and titles and success in this world. You want that next promotion, you want that title at work, you want to be known in your community as that guy or this or this girl or Uh, You want to be that person among your friends. Even among your friends, you want to be like, I don't know, the funny one. You want to be the intelligent one, whatever it is. We we spend so much time searching for these accolades. But the economy of God's kingdom is so much different from the economy of this world. And we see the word of God coming to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, not Tiberius Caesar in the Roman palace. And the message is... Twofold. He says in verse 3 And he, John, went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming two things a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This isn't a new message. This is the message of the prophets. Repentance and forgiveness of sins has been the message that God has been giving. Throughout the whole, throughout the whole scriptures up to this point, so it's not a new message that John's that John's speaking, but he does something a little different here. He combines baptism, a symbol, a visual symbol, uh, with repentance, and he gives the people something to see here. So he he says like this is an outward expression of of you know this repentance in your heart. He's not saying baptism is is necessarily leading to that, but he's saying when baptism happens, it's showing people that you've repented. And so he combines it with something something visual here, which, you know, if you talk to, like, marketers and, and mainly uh, advertising people and stuff, they'll say that, um, or, you know, learning theory, they'll say that when you see something and hear it, that's the best, that's the best um, way that you're going to retain something. Uh, when you both see it and you hear it. So, um, He's showing them. He's telling them. And then verse 4 says, As it is written in the, books of the, in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. And here we see that John, we're about to see a prophecy. He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That John has been prophesied not just 400 years before, but his coming has been prophesied 700 years before Isaiah talks about it. Isaiah talks about this guy who's going to come and prepare the way for the Lord. And this is John. And this is what John lives under. John lives under these prophecies. you think he ever wondered if he was good enough? I think sometimes we look at people in the scriptures and we think, oh, well, they're in the Bible, so they're like these holy, really holy people and, and, and those things. But I look at this and I wonder, like, I wonder if he, he, he thought he was good enough if he could actually fulfill this prophecy because he'd heard all these prophecies growing up and from his birth it was prophesied that he was the fulfillment of these prophecies so he's about 30 years old now and for 30 years he's in he's been living under these prophetic words that people are speaking over him why do you think he was in the wilderness i asked that question when i was reading this why is he in the wilderness you know, a lot of people in the scriptures go to the wilderness to seek God. But why was he seeking God? you think the pressure was too much for him? When you say that, to some people they think that's a little blasphemous. But John's a regular man. The only thing that makes him special is the spirit of God that is in him. He's just like you. He's just like me. And maybe the pressure was too much for him. Maybe he's in the wilderness because... He's just searching. He's searching for identity. He's searching for destiny. He's searching for purpose. He's searching for the way to fulfill the prophecy. You know, elsewhere in the Gospels, it says that he wore a garment of hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. And in Malachi, it says that, it prophesies that he's going to be like Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. He's going to be like this prophet. And, At his birth, when Gabriel comes to Elizabeth and says, you're going to have a son, you shall call him John, Gabriel says to her that he will come in the power and the spirit of Elijah. And so John knows this. He's been told this all his life. And what's funny is what he wears is exactly how Elijah is described in 2 Kings. This is exactly what Elijah wears garment of hair with a leather belt around his waist. And it's almost like John is trying to look the part. He's like learning everything about Elijah and he's like maybe I should try to be like Elijah. You know, these things have been told about me. So he's almost trying to look the part. He was faithful. I mean, for 30 years he'd been told something and it hadn't come to fruition yet. He's just been waiting for 30 years. A lot of you guys aren't 30 yet. You're still approaching that. Like you're, you're in that season, season of, of waiting. John had been living in that all his life. And something had been told him that that's what he's going to be. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like that in school? Do you feel like that in your, in your job? Do you feel like that in life? Like I'm just waiting for something. I feel like people have told me this. They've tried to call things out in me. People have given me, maybe someone's given you a prophetic word, and you're like, just waiting for it. Um, You know, all growing up, people told me that I was going to be a pastor and a missionary. Um, Not all growing up. We started going to church when I was 10. Um, But after I became a believer, that's all people told me. And I actually went the other way. Um, Not away from the faith, just I didn't want anything to do with ministry. Um, But maybe someone's... Maybe you have that in your life where someone just told you something all your life. You know, this, in the past couple of weeks, I've had the same conversation with someone in their teens, in their 20s, and in their 30s uh, about this very issue, just trying to find some identity, some purpose. All of them want something more. They all want answers, but they feel like depressed and hopeless and just dejected and stuck just stuck in their situation. They hate their job, but don't feel like they can give it up because now they have a family. They're a teenager, and they're trying to apply to universities and trying to figure out what to do with the rest of their life. Can't believe we put that pressure on our teenagers. The rest of your life, you've got to figure it out right now, um, which is ridiculous. Uh, and then in your 20s, uh, we have that pressure. We've graduated university um, we're trying to make it in music. We're trying to make it in an acting career or, um, or whatever you're, you're doing. And we feel like a failure because we're not doing anything that our degree said we were supposed to do. And now what do we do with our lives? Um, don't, let, don't let the world determine your success as a person. I told someone that in their 20s this past week. I said, don't let the world determine your success as a person. They, they have 40 years at least, 50 years, 60 years of life ahead of them, and they want to figure it all out right now. You might feel like that. I need to figure it all out right now. You don't need to figure it all out right now. You just need to take the next step. Especially as a follower of Jesus or a child of God, the world shouldn't determine our circumstances in the world shouldn't determine our direction or what it means for success. You know, John's been given a prophecy. He's been given a powerful prophecy all his life. And it wasn't meant to hold him down or cause him to think, how do I fit into this? It was actually meant to empower him. And God spoke this over him. God spoke this to his his parents And God is speaking to you today as well. God speaks now. And he's speaking to you about something. He's given you words. God is a God who who speaks. He's given us this word. He speaks to you through others. And God wants you to know this morning that your, your circumstances aren't meant to restrain you. They're actually meant to empower you. They're meant to push you forward. They're meant to draw you close to him. They're meant to do more than just hinder you. And the prophecy begins here. It says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. So John definitely fits that. He's hanging out in the wilderness. Uh, It says, prepare the way of the Lord. What's interesting here is this word for Lord is actually God's personal name. It's Yahweh. It's the name he gives Moses when in Exodus 3, Moses says, who shall I tell the people of Israel um, has sent me? And God doesn't say, oh, tell them God. He actually says, tell them Yahweh. I will be what I will be. That's his personal name that he gives to to Moses. And that's what the prophecy is here. So when, when Isaiah prophesies this, he says, prepare the way of Yahweh. And that's so beautiful because Elijah knows he's preparing the way for God to come. For God to come. He probably doesn't know how it's gonna happen that God is gonna be made flesh and, and and gonna come, but he he knows that he's preparing the way for the personal God that he's grown up serving. And so what do you think this meant for John the Baptist? What do, what do you think it means for you this morning just to prepare the way of the Lord? How do you prepare the way of the Lord in your heart, in your life? You know, John's message here is repentance is the forgiveness of sins. It's a life change. It's sacrificing some things. You know, Jesus always goes straight to the heart. When people come to him and they say, Jesus, how do I follow you? He doesn't give them a whole bunch of things to say or do. He always goes straight to the heart, straight to what they value the most. When the rich man comes, he says, go sell all your possessions. And the rich man says, oh, I could never do that and it shows Jesus immediately what that person values. And he takes your most valued thing and says, give that up and follow me. What do you need to give up to truly follow Jesus this morning? You know, John, I don't know if John liked living in the wilderness. I don't know if he liked eating locusts and honey. That's what his diet was, according to the scriptures. I don't know if he liked wearing scratchy camel hair. Um, But he gave up something in order to go hear God in the wilderness. And the beauty of this prophecy is this. It says, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall become straight. The rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And that's the beauty of the gospel. The playing field is leveled. When Jesus comes, he levels the playing field. And that's why the word of God comes to John, someone who would traditionally be looked at as being in the valley and not to a king sitting on his throne. Because what Jesus does is he takes those places and he levels them. And he says the gospel is for everybody. It's for all flesh. No matter your socioeconomic status, no matter your education, no matter your gender, your ethnicity, your anything. He says the gospel is for all flesh. And that's the prophecy. And then John goes into his message. And it's from 7 through 14. He goes into his message. It's all in the context of baptism and the forgiveness of sins. He talks about how, uh, you know, the, the religious, the religious in the crowd come to him and he calls them a brood of vipers. And he says, who warned you guys to flee from the wrath of God? And then later on, we have these people who are coming and seeking Christ. And he has these kind of two groups here, this religious crowd who's, who's, who's coming. And they're, they're fleeing because they hear repentance and, and um, they flee from it. And then we have this other crowd, soldiers and tax collectors who um, pursue this. And they come and they ask John questions. Well, what do we do then? You know, what does repentance look like for us? And repentance isn't about fleeing God's wrath. You know, we hear repentance and we think it's it's a a bad word. You know, because it means stop doing what you're doing. Um, you know, and, and oftentimes for the past 150 years in, in in the history of the church, I feel like repentance when when that message because it's the first sermon Jesus preaches. He says, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." And a lot of preachers of the past. You know like i said 150 years or so i've said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and it's just like this hard repentance and what if jesus actually said hey guys repent the kingdom of heaven is here like i'm here it's at hand and instead of it being a thing that pushes us away jesus is actually saying welcome the gospel is for all flesh it's for everybody and repentance is is the key to this. And so John is preaching this message. And some people are taking it. Some people aren't. The people who aren't are just blinded. They're blinded by sin. They have a veil over their hearts. The scripture said there's a group that hears John's message, wants to flee. There's a group uh, that wants to, This is, they want to flee and save themselves. And John's like, who told you that was the message? That's not the message. You should be pursuing this. You should be running towards this. You know, I realized this week that I'm actually more selfish than I previously thought. <laughs> um, so I get so annoyed and frustrated and angry with people who are inconsiderate of other people. Okay? Um, which sounds very, like, holy, right? Um, but it's, it's not. Uh, but I realized this week. Uh, because it really comes out when I'm driving. How many of you guys drive in the city? Okay. You know what I'm talking about. Keep your hands raised. Like, put it up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's hard to drive in the city, especially for someone like, like me. Um, so I was taking the girls to school the other day, and <clears throat> I guess I should get ready for this because uh, they're four and five years old, and they took forever to get ready in the morning for school this day. And I'm like, come on, guys. Let's go. Let's go. Hurry and they don't brush their own hair i brush it they don't brush their own teeth i brush it like i have them put their clothes on but they're still like so slow and emerson is like me when she gets up in the morning like, i have to go into her room in the morning wake her up really gently and then i have to go get reagan wake her up and then i got to come back for emerson and like nudge her out and she's just really groggy and it's so sweet I'm like really sympathetic towards her because I'm the same way. Like I'm just like, "Eh, go away. Um, But they just took forever. So got them up, got them ready, finally, like shoved some food in their mouth. I'm like, take that on the road. Let's go. And we're getting in the car. We're driving to school. And of course, this happens. We're already late. But of course, like everybody wants to cut me off. All the slow drivers are on the road that morning. Um, you know, it's like, it was, it was so bad. Uh, I caught every light, it felt like, um, and I caught it because the person in front of me wouldn't turn left, or something like that, you know? And I was getting so angry, so frustrated, and I thought, nobody understands that I'm late. (laughs) Like, why are they driving like this? It sounds ridiculous, right? And on the way home, so I jump off at school... And um, that was the first thing of my day. And then I had, like, all this other stuff to do. Um, you know, I have, like, I'm counseling people that day. I'm meeting with, with people that day. And I can't go in there like this. I can't go in there angry and frustrated. And, and so I tried to center, like, I just tried to pray and just refocus the day and ask the Spirit of God, you know, just to be in me and take away these angry feelings. And... Um, another idiot just cuts in front of me and ruins the whole thing. <laughs> and I was like, no, why God? And I actually said it. I was like, why? Like, why God? Why does this always happen to me? And you know what God said in that moment? He said, it doesn't. You always happen to you. You're the one who happens to you. Your pride is what happens to you. And in that moment, I thought, oh, I heard God say, he said, in humility, why don't you try considering others better than yourself? This is Philippians 2. You know, he said, stop looking to your own interests and start looking to the interests of others. And the whole time I thought that I was being the considerate one. I'm I'm angry because they're not considerate, but who aren't they considerate of? Me. They're not considerate of me being late of me wanting to turn here, of, of this, and I can keep on going on. And I thought, wow, I'm so selfish. I never realized that. Missy's been trying to tell me all, my, all of our, every time we're in the car, she says something about it, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but it was like such a breakthrough for me. And some of us flee from repentance because of what John is saying, the wrath to come. But some of us, we just don't realize we need it. And I didn't realize I even needed repentance in that situation. Until that moment, I heard God say, you need to repent. You're the one who needs to to have a change. Someone in the past couple of weeks was describing their situation to me. And I asked them if they thought it was selfish. I said, you know the way you're saying, I was like, do you think this is rooted in selfish desires? And they responded, no. Um, But I told him, I said, you know, conservatively speaking, 90% of what you do, what I do, what we do, is out of selfish desires, is born out of selfish desires. And he said, well, what would not, what would be the not conservative figure? And I said, 99.9% nine 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 percent there's probably that point zero 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 one percent that we actually do something for jesus out of pure jesus motive but most of the time we're doing something selfish and we think it's not for us but if we actually traced it back it would be because we have this we're just blinded by our own sin and that's That's why when we initially hear this message of repentance, we don't want to repent. We can't see that it's actually the best thing for us. We can't see that actually the way we're living is is perpetuating death, and the way that Jesus wants us to live is perpetuating life, and that's turning towards him. And so this is John's lot so far. These are his circumstances. He's living with these prophecies. He's coming out of the wilderness. He's wearing this scratchy camel hair thing. He's eating big old grasshoppers. I've eaten a grasshopper before. They're not They're not great. So he's eating these grasshoppers. He's preaching a message that a lot of the people don't like. At least not initially. But he perseveres. Maybe despite of or, or maybe perhaps because of his circumstances. And we see in verse 15 here that the people are actually now in expectation and they're seeking christ and we see john's perseverance in these tough circumstances actually gives hope to others like they're waiting they're expecting they're they're hoping and then we see that john's perseverance breeds a certain amount of clarity and in verse 16 john answered them all saying i baptize you with water he knows what his purpose is and he knows his identity here. But he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm, I'm not worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John has clarity here in his identity and his destiny. He knows who he is. And he knows what he's supposed to do. And he knows who Jesus is. And he's pointing to Jesus. And he knows that that's who I am compared to Jesus. That's who I am in Jesus. And then skip down to verse 18, he says, it says here. "So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. And this clarity that John has in who he is and who Jesus is gives him two things: joy and boldness. So in verse 18, he's exhorting the people just over and over and he's preaching good news to them. He's not preaching bad news. He's preaching good news, and he takes joy in this message. And joy a lot of times gets a bad rap because we think, or we misunderstand joy. We think joy is happiness, and when we think that joy is happiness, our circumstances are going to dictate our joy. Okay? But joy isn't happiness. Okay? Joy actually isn't, emotionally founded, okay? We think joy is an emotion, too. Um, Joy can be expressed emotionally. It's manifested emotionally uh, a lot of times. But joy is actually not, not emotionally based. It's actually spiritually based. It's a production of the spirit in our hearts. And so when John has joy... When John is preaching good news, and, and, and for you, when you have joy, it may be despite your circumstances. You know, it may look so horrible on the outside, but joy doesn't come from the outside. When you find joy in Christ, it's something that the Spirit has placed inside you and is producing inside you. The Bible says it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a working of the Spirit. It's produce. And so when we have joy, it comes out from here. A lot of you guys uh, are here this morning and you have a veneer of happiness on, on your face because you feel like you need to be. Um, but joy is totally different from that. We don't have this veneer because it's, it's coming from a different place. And so John has this joy, and it's because of this clarity in his circumstances. Happiness is circumstantial and joy is, is spiritual. And then we see it, it give John boldness. He starts preaching against some, some, some evils and some societal injustices, and he gets put in prison for it. I mean, he knows, he knows what his boldness would do, but he's bold anyways because he's operating out of joy. And these prophecies, instead of, in these circumstances of his, instead of hindering him, they've empowered him to do this. And it's just this perspective shift. And so, he ends up in prison. And then we see, we'll just hop over real quick to to Luke 7. John is in prison. It's kind of a a rough reward for faithfulness. But the result of our faith shouldn't dictate the action of it. He knows what, what might happen. He's in prison for I don't know how long, and in chapter 7, John the Baptist sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus if he's the Christ, if he's the Messiah, if he's the one. And it's really strange because John sends, it says he sends them to ask if Jesus is the one, which assumes that John is doubting and that he's wondering if this is actually the guy. And just just a few chapters before, I don't know how long chronologically, but just a few chapters in the book before, he's just proclaimed that this is the guy. This is the Messiah. He says to the whole crowd, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins and be baptized. And then he baptizes Jesus and he sees the Holy Spirit descend on him as a dove, and he hears this loud voice from heaven, the Father saying, "This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased." John has seen all that, and now he's in prison, and he sends two disciples to say, "Just go, just go ask him." I can't see it anymore. Now he's probably heard about all these miracles that Jesus is doing, but he's holed up in this place, this dark place. His circumstances are really rough. And he says, guys, just go just go ask him. Just go ask him if he's the guy. And Jesus doesn't rebuke John. He doesn't rebuke the disciples. He doesn't say, go tell John that he's a failure for not believing in me. Go tell John he's a failure for doubting. Go tell John he's not my son anymore because he hasn't, he hasn't, Uh, he hasn't uh, stayed true to what he said before. Go tell John this, he says. He actually gives John spiritual eyes when he says this. He says, go tell John, do the lame walk? He's like, look around you. The blind see, the lame walk. The lepers, they're cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are being raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And he points them to see his circumstances in the light of the kingdom. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, look at what's happening. Here's spiritual eyes for you to see what's happening, John. And he blesses him instead of rebukes him. He gives... He breeds life in him instead of death. And I don't know what your circumstances are, but in the Christian faith, often our circumstances aren't very encouraging. Because Jesus says, Hey guys, guess what? If you follow me, the world hated me. So they're going to hate you too. They're going to tell you you're not good enough, they're going to tell you that you'll never be as smart. They're going to tell you you're idiots. They're going to tell you you're failures. He says, Guess what? The world persecuted me. So they're going to persecute you too. Just be ready for it. And the world will say, Your religion, it's just a crutch. You don't need it. You need that to live, but look at me. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine living my life this way. And Jesus here is. You know, John's in prison, and Jesus is going about saving individuals. And in the eyes of society, these are pretty worthless individuals. He's that are coming to him. They're the, they're they're people that society looks at and says, "There's no value in them." Like they're not. They, those are the tax collectors. They're all sinners. Look at the prostitutes over. There. They're all sinners. Look at the poor. They're just low class. Of course, they would accept that 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 story. But Jesus says, that's when the kingdom breaks through. When the good news is preached to those people. And when the people who are neglected by society have healing. He says, that's the kingdom. He says, that's when society begins to transform. When these individual hearts begin to transform, that's when these evils begin to get corrected. And in the end, John is, this is what Jesus says about John in verse 28. Of Chapter 7, he says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Again, he doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, John, if you'd only stay strong in your faith. He actually recognizes the seed of faith in John that he would pursue Jesus that he'd even send people to ask Jesus. And he says to everyone there, don't think that he's lesser for this. He says there's no one greater. And he affirms John. He lifts him up. Jesus himself, the son of God himself, says that John fulfilled the prophecy. He says, Isaiah wrote this, and this is about John. So if there's any doubt who John is, if there's any doubt who I am, look at John. He fulfilled this. He prepared the way for me. And then Jesus finishes it with a very peculiar phrase. He says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. He says the one who participates in the kingdom is greater than the one who announces it. You who get to participate in the kingdom, who get to live in the kingdom, who get to choose the kingdom, you're greater than the one who prepared the way for it. And So this morning, Jesus wants to give you what he gave John. He wants to give you spiritual eyes. He wants to affirm you. He wants to exalt you. He wants to lift you up. He wants to speak words of truth into you. He wants you to see your circumstances, not in darkness, but in light. He wants you to be empowered by your circumstances, not hindered by them. He wants you to be empowered by who you are and who he's made you to be. And he's proclaiming the message of John. He's proclaiming good news. He's proclaiming repentance. Turn away from death. Accept forgiveness. And pursue the life of Jesus.